0: Morning, we're just gonna finish up here um, our section that we started last time in First Corinthians chapter three. Ken mentioned I got in late and the plane was delayed like six hours and I made it to Philadelphia from Wamsport. That's just like a thirty minute flight. That was easy and then I remember the connection was kinda quick, so I had to run right to the other gate, get on the shuttle and get to the other gate there in Philadelphia. And every time I do this, I pass this cheesesteak place, Gino's Cheesesteak, and I just want to stop, And I didn't have time. Well, I got on the plane, I'm all comfy, ready to go, and the pilot says, yeah, we got a problem. So he goes, we got to hold, got to, everybody's got to get off, probably be a couple hours. And so I thought, there's my chance. Uh, but the only problem was the cheesesteak place was farther away from the gate than I wanted it to be. So I thought, well, I don't want to take that chance and miss the flight. So I kind of hung out there for a while, and then the announce, announcement came up you got to go to Terminal C. Well, that's right. I passed right by the cheesesteak place. So the Lord was looking out for me. He really was. I wanted one of those cheesesteaks really bad. So I got my cheesesteak. And, uh, you know, in Philadelphia, they serve cheesesteaks, and, you know, you can. Uh, the guy said, What kind of cheese do you want? I said, What kind of cheese do you put on it? And he goes, Cheese Whiz. I said, Well, that's what I want. So i don 't want to be like some other guy that ordered Swiss cheese on a cheesesteak in philadelphia you don 't do that a politician did that that 's not a good thing. They look at you cross eyed if you do something like that back there so but anyway uh, it was a it was a, a good trip and it 's just a blessing to be back here with my wife and with with you as a family of God. Well, last week, uh, we were looking at paul 's uh, criticism here of the Corinthians in chapter three, and I just want to read the first nine verses and Hopefully we'll make it through these. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it, for you're still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants, nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. Well, last time we were together, we looked at uh, Paul's uh, criticism there, what he hoped to do. He wanted to give them solid food. He He had given them milk. And that kind of indicates that when they were first believers, that's what he did, and that's what you would do with a newborn Christian. You would give them the milk of the word. But this is some year and a half, two years later, and he's telling them, you know, you shouldn't still be drinking the milk. You should be eating solid food. Now, there's no difference between solid food and milk, theologically. It's all the same. But, you know, if, if John MacArthur put it this way in one of his messages he said you know if you if you tell a brand new believer that when you came to Christ you were made righteous in Christ well they would say well that's nice that's good i need righteousness you know but if you tell someone who's been in the word and is a little more mature in their faith well Christ made you righteous god made you righteous through the sacrifice of Christ all these other terms start f- swirling around in your head. You know, you think, well, okay, Christ, you know, the, the, the Christ that came down from heaven, the incarnation, you think about that. You think about his sacrifice on Calvary. You think about was it a specific death or was it a general death? You think about how we obtain this righteousness. So when you're more mature in your faith, you're gonna think about more stuff. You're gonna think about what? Meaty things. Um, you know, you may give a bite of a filet mignon to a little baby if he has some teeth and is old enough to eat it, and he may eat it, and that's fine. But you may give a filet to an older person, and boy, they bite it, oh, this is wonderful. They go on and on, why? Because they appreciate it a little more. Matter of fact, I'm hungry for a filet. Why don't I think about it? Cheesesteak didn't, it was good, but that's, something popped in my head there. But see, here... What Paul is saying is, look, I had to feed you milk at the beginning, but now you shouldn't be drinking the milk anymore. And we're talking about uh, spirituality, understanding spiritual maturity. And so last week I gave you the little picture of the, the circle that depicted the life of somebody and had the throne in there, and Christ was outside, the cross was outside, and the S was on the throne. Remember that? Well, that's the life of a nonbeliever. And all the little things in their life was chaotic, It's all mixed up. And then I said, well, once someone comes to Christ, Christ comes into that circle of the life and he is on the throne of their life. And the S, self, is down at the foot of the throne. That's what it means to be a Christian. The problem is, remember I showed you a third circle, and this is where some theologians go with this. They say, well, this is a carnal Christian. Christ is in the life, but he's not on the throne. S is on the throne, and the cross is down at the the foot of that little chair, and everything's mixed up inside the life because Christ isn't in control. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches when you come to Christ, you don't make him Lord, right? He already is Lord. You're just acknowledging his lordship in your life. That's all that is. And so what Paul is telling... These folks here is not that there's a third category of Christian. You know, you have a non-Christian, you have a spiritual Christian, and then you have a carnal Christian. He's not saying that. All Christians are spiritual. They have to be. If they're not, they're not a Christian. Someone asked me, it was actually my wife, I think. She asked me in the Old Testament, um, the believers in the Old Testament, did they have the Holy Spirit? Yes, they did. And I had to think about it because I remember I went to a school that taught, well, no, they didn't have it. It's only the believers in the New Testament that have the Spirit. In the Old Testament, you know, the Spirit would just come upon people and anoint them, but then he could leave them or whatever. But if they were a believer, like Abraham and others, the Spirit was with them. He dwelt in them, just like he does us. They wouldn't be saved if it wasn't the case. So sometimes we have to be careful the way we look at spirituality, because sometimes we make excuses for people who've been Christians for years, and they say, well, we're just, they're just a little baby Christian. Well, we need to figure out why. Why are they still dealing with the milk of the word? And see, here in Corinth, the problem was they were being dealt with by the world and then by the flesh. They had all these things opposing them. And that's what Paul says here. He says, "You know what? I would have gave you solid food, but you're, you know, you're you, as a baby Christian. You you don't need that. You need milk. But now I still can't give you anything solid. You still can't handle it." He says, and he says why in verse three. He says, "For there's jealousy and strife among you. That's an attitude and an action. Jealousy's an attitude, but it leads to actions. It's basically sin." And he's, he's, he's talking about the divisions here in the church. Probably in your Bible, if you look at the heading there, it talks about divisions in the church or something like that. Well, that's exactly what Paul was talking about in the church of Corinth. He was saying, I can't even address you, even though you are believers, I can't address you as such. Because you're so filled with the philosophy of the world and you're so filled with your flesh. And he says, you know, you've got this jealousy attitude going on. You've got this fighting strife going on among you. And he asked in verse 3, look, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? See, as believers, sometimes spirit-filled believers, as we're in Christ, do we not act in a human way? Sure, that's called sin. When we live in the flesh, when we do something that God doesn't want us to do, what is that? That's giving in to the desires of the flesh. And so we're not yielding to the Spirit. That's why in Ephesians, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. Don't let something from the outside come in and control your life. But be what? Be controlled. Be filled, is the word, with the Holy Spirit. And so as a spiritual person, as a Christian, you have the Spirit. You have all of the Spirit you're ever going to get don't believe the lie of the charismatic movement that says, no, no, you know, you can become a Christian and then you gotta beg and you gotta plead God for more of the spirit. And then if you beg and plead for more, then he'll give you all these sign and wonder gifts. That's a lie. Simply stated, that's a lie. And that's experiences that people are having that are not based upon the truthfulness of God's word. And really, it's dividing the church of Christ. Now, I think some of those people are just honestly deceived. I don't think they're malicious about it, but some of the teachers, the teachers that are after your money, the Benny Hinn kind of people, they're, they're, they're devious. They're false prophets. They need to be called out. And so we need to understand that we're all spiritual as believers. If you're not a Christian here today, guess what? You're not. <laughs> You don't have the spirit of Christ in you. You're not a spiritual person. You're a fleshly person. Once you come to Christ, God gives us the Holy Spirit. We become a spiritual person, but we're also in the flesh. So now we got this battle going on. And this is what Paul is pointing to. You're, you're in the spirit, but you're behaving only in a human way. Notice he says only in a human way. I've... Dealt with a lot of people over the years that say, well, I'm a Christian. Really? Well, where do you go to church? Well, I don't go to church. Oh. Well, do you read your Bible? No, I haven't read my Bible in years. You know, well, what do you do Sunday? Well, I'm too tired. You know, I'm out partying the night before Saturday night, so I, I can't get up for church. I, don't, I haven't been to church in years. But you're, you're a believer? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I raised my hand. I walked down the aisle. I did whatever I needed to do. But you know what? They're behaving only in a what? In a human way, in a fleshly way. And see, when that happens, there's something wrong. That's why the Bible tells us over and over, especially on days like today when we're celebrating communion, that we should what? We should examine ourselves. We should examine ourselves. You know, just because, you know, you you feel all spiritual today, tomorrow you may not. (laughs) And so we need to really examine ourselves and base our salvation not on how we're feeling, but upon the authority of God's word. And that's what Paul is finding out here in the church of Corinth, is that they're so confused, they're so mixed up on so many different topics and subjects and theologies. Why? Because they got away from the word. They're off doing what they want to do. And that's what he says here. He says, for the one, look at what he says in verse 4. The one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos. Paul was the founder of this church. He was there for a year and a half. He left, and then Apollos became the pastor. He was probably even a better preacher, a better speaker than Paul, if you can imagine that. He was very gifted. And so they were under these two individuals' teachings for years. Some say maybe five, six years, but they're still little infants They're acting like little babies. You see, it kind of flushes itself out here when you see them saying, I follow this person or I follow that person. That's what happens in churches that are filled with fleshly people. They subdivide into little groups. And then pretty soon you got these little schisms here, little schisms there, I remember before I came here, actually, they were telling me that even in the history of this church, there was a day when if the choir was here, certain people would stay. If the choir wasn't here, they'd get up and walk out. I I can't even conceive of that over music. I mean, it wasn't even any theological issue, really. Um, that's not what we're called to do in the body of Christ. There are some things that are preferential in our understanding when it comes to the word of God. And we need to make sure that we extend grace in those areas. If we have an individual that says, well, I don't believe Jesus is God, then we got a problem. Do you understand? Then we, then we have to address that. But see, here it was this worldly pressure, pressure coming in on the Corinthian church. It was the flesh coming in from the inside, the world coming from the outside. And he says, I can't even talk to you as Christians. Not that they aren't, because he says, as, I can't talk to you as spiritual. That word, spiritual, there, we went over this last time. But whenever a word in the original language ends with an um in the Greek, it, it really has the idea That it's characterized, whatever the beginning of the word is, it's characterized or controlled by. So when he uses the word spiritual, it's pneumakos, and that ekos ending means you're being controlled by the spirit. A little later on, he calls them fleshly or carnal. Okay, that's sarcosm, it's being controlled by the flesh. See, as a Christian, you can be controlled by your flesh. Do you know that? That's what happens when we sin. We're not being controlled by the spirit, but strike out of your mind the idea that somehow if Christ is in your life, he's not the Lord of your life. If you're truly saved, Jesus is the Lord. And you know what? To be honest with you, even if you're not saved, he's still the Lord. Sooner or later, you're going to acknowledge it. The Bible says that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. That's going to happen. It's just better if it happens on this side of glory than the other side. Because if you're waiting to get to the other side, it's going to be too late. You'll be standing before a holy God, and the one question he'll probably ask you is, what did you do with my son? Well, I thought he was a great teacher. Eh, not a good answer. See? You have to come to understand that he's the Savior. He's the Lord. He's the creator God. And so Paul says that these people are causing schisms in the church. I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. You're being human. And then he asks the question here very clearly. He just says, well, what is, what is Apollos? Or who is Apollos? Who do you think these people are? There's a better rendering there. Who is Paul? He asks that question. He wants us to know the answer. See, sometimes in ministry, People get caught up in the role of, you know, deacon or elder or pastor or Sunday school teacher. And they think somehow this is like a cloak they put on and that all of a sudden, because they're called a teacher, that they walk on water. It's not true. I don't care who the person is. Um, and so Paul has to correct them here. He wants to point out to them, look, you're, you're elevating these men above their pay grade. You're, you're following these individuals. That's not what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to follow who? Christ. And Christ alone. So he says here, basically, he had, they had a, a sinful attitude toward their spiritual leaders. They're looking to mere men but Paul doesn't say him or Apollos or, or mere men. What does he call them there? He calls them, what, servants, it says. He says, servants, verse five, through whom you believed. You know, that's not the word, sometimes the word servant can be translated slave. That's not the word there. It, it basically means a very uh, basic kind of servant. It, it's, it's not a big deal. Um it's definitely not the chef in the kitchen. You know, I mean, do you ever go out to a nice restaurant and you eat the food? Oh, this is, my, I, I'd like to give my, you know, congratulations to the chef, you know. Some people do that. And then the chef comes out with a little hat on, you know, oh, yes, yeah, everything. Oh, wonderful. Good way to go. And everybody goes, who is that? You know, the chef's coming to their table. Whoopie doo. You know, very seldom you ever hear him say, you know, this was such a wonderful meal. You know, I'd like to talk to the busboy. You don't see that. That's what we are. That's what we are in Christ. We're servants. We're mere bus people. We just bring the food to the table. And the problem is, in a lot of churches, in our country today, and even in the world, Christian leaders have mistaken their role as a pastor or as an elder or as a a teacher, as the cook, so rather than just bring God's food to the table like a busboy should, like a servant should, what do they do? They go to the kitchen and they say, well, here's what God has lined up. But I, you know, I just can't resist. I got to put my little touch on it and I'm going to make, find something new here. And, you know, we can't just keep teaching people the same old stuff. And so what do they do? They, they, they tweak God's recipe. And so when it ends up on your plate, it may taste real good but it's not what God wants you to eat. <laughs> so you may walk away going, wow, this, that was wonderful. You know, it's kind of like going out for sushi. You know, I, I like sushi once in a while. I just do the tuna stuff. I don't eat all the weird stuff. California roll rolling the tuna, you know, the Maguro tuna. But, you know, sometimes, before I was really educated, we'd go out and we'd order a plate of sashimi and that plate came in and it had everything, octopus. I was like, what's this? I just want the tuna. Isn't it the tuna called sushi? Oh, no, that's not, that's not what you ordered. And so I don't know what we did with it, but I didn't eat it. <laughs> but when you go out for, 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 for sushi, I don't know if it's just me, but usually an hour after you're done, you're hungry. It's like, wow. You know, it's not like sitting down eating a steak potatoes or something. You know, you, that can hold you out for hours. But sushi, I don't know why. It just doesn't. I mean, you feel full. But you get home, and in a couple hours you 're like, "Hmm, what can I have to eat see that's some churches are geared that way they 're giving you this this kind of sushi meal that kind of fills you up a little bit, but it doesn 't really give you anything to carry on throughout the rest of the day and see that 's where as a church we want to make sure that we 're feeding and, and teaching the meat of the word. That's why sometimes, yeah, we spend a little longer in a verse or a chapter than we maybe should, but I just want to make sure that we're, we're getting everything we can out of it because you know, I figure we're just going to go through this once. I don't think I'll be around to go through the, all the New Testament again. So <laughs> that's somebody else's deal. So when I'm going through a book, I'm just like, okay, I can't back up so I'm just going to take my time, and we're going to try to get as much as we can out of this. So Paul here is addressing these, these issues. He's correcting them, and he says, you know what? These men that you're idolizing, they're just like busboys. They're just servants. And I said it before, the only difference between the person up front teaching and the, and the, the, the individuals sitting is they're, they're facing different directions. That's all the difference is. We don't need to elevate our Christian leaders. Most Christian leaders have a big enough ego. They don't need to be encouraged in this way, okay? So we just need to kind of back off that. And he says there are servants through whom you believed. In other words, God does use these busboys. He does use these servants to bring people to Christ. And by the way, you know, that means just someone who's willing to serve. And that opens up the doors for everybody. You don't have to have a theological degree. I mean, I've met people in ministry who have zero education, and yet they're a real servant. And God uses them in an incredible way in their churches. So don't ever think, well, I'm not qualified. No, if you're a Christian, you've got the same spirit everybody else has. Amen? And he's equipped you, he's gifted you spiritually with spiritual gifts. We'll get into that later in the book. But those spiritual gifts are not for you to take home and hoard and polish up and and look at and hang in the closet. Oh, look at that gift of teaching. It looks so nice. You need to use it. Maybe you have the gift of encouragement. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality. Whatever, there's a ton of gifts that God gives us. And so when he does that, he expects us to use. Well, Paul and Apollos were using their gifts as good servants. The problem was, Not with them. The problem was with the Corinthians. It says the Lord assigned to each. You know who's in control of salvation, don't you? It's not us. It's God. You know, he says right there, he says, look, um, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? They're mere servants. Yeah, God used them to bring you to faith, but the Lord assigned to each. In other words, God uses all of us differently. You know, we have multiple men here, even in our small church, who can teach the Word of God. And you know what? When you listen to one, it's not like you're listening to the other. They're all different. They all have different personalities. They all have different inflections in their voice when they teach or, or different ways that they teach or different thought process. You know, and that's, that's good. That's the way it should be. We're not here to be like somebody else. We're here to be... Be ourselves, and God will use that. And so he says, look, the Lord assigned them, verse 6. Paul says, I planted, and Apollos watered. What's that mean? That means that everybody has a role to play. And it may not be the same role. You know, there are some teachers who are very evangelistic in their teaching. When they get up, boy, you know, I mean, they're going to, you know give a strong invitation, they're going to be very evangelistic, they're going to make sure the gospel is... There's other people who are very uh, historical-oriented. You know, It doesn't mean they don't include the gospel in their message, but it's just a different way of teaching. There's other people, men, that are, that are very... Uh, they, they apply everything. It's all about the application, which is important. But see, what what Paul is saying here <coughs> is that I planted, that was my role. I came here, planted this church, and many of you came to faith in Christ. That's what he's saying. And I was here for a year and a half. But Apollos came and he watered. He he added substance to your belief through his teaching. And see, that's the important thing to realize is that you know, a church shouldn't just have one individual who does everything, or leads everything, or or teaches all the time about everything. I tell all the men in our church who are gifted at teaching the Word of God, hey, you got something, you know, stuck in your crawl, and you want to get it out, and you want to teach? Just holler, and I'll give you a date. You know, at the same time, I'm called to pastor this church. I believe that's my calling, so I don't want to negate that. But at the same time, you have to give... Men, opportunity to practice their gift. And so that's how God uses all of us together for one common good for the body of Christ. And notice, both of these individuals did different things, but neither one really did anything. (laughs) Because it says there at the end, what's it say? But only what? Who? God, who gives the growth. It's only God who gives the growth. You know, you, you can't, I've been to a lot of conferences, things like that, you know, church growth conferences, or if you just apply this formula, then you'll, you'll break through the 200 barrier or the 300 barrier. They got all these numbers thing. I've never really been into that stuff. But I will tell you this, if you apply their principles, sometimes they work. But usually it involves some kind of compromise, Usually, it's dumbing stuff down so that you throw a wider net or whatever it might be. Now, granted, I mean, I would pray that our church would be full every Sunday. But guess what? It's not up to me. Just if the church was full. Say we had 500 people and we had to have three services every Sunday. Guess what? It wouldn't be my fault. That would be God's fault when the neighbors start complaining. And the police want to hire policemen to control the intersection. You just got too many people in that church. You got to, well, I don't know what to tell you. Tell God about it. It's funny, though, when you're in a smaller church and, you know, maybe it's not full, guess what? All of a sudden it becomes your fault. <laughs> you know, oh, you're the reason the church is. It's not. You know, I, I'm mature enough as a believer to to realize that, you know what? God in his sovereignty, for whatever reason, has given us 50 to 80 to 100 people here in this church. I, I would, to God, it'd be 500, but it's not. Maybe, maybe that's my calling, maybe that's my giftedness, and, and, and that's where God has it at this time, I don't know. But see, whenever you start shooting for the stars and throwing out essential things to hit a watermark that you've drew, uh, drawn on the wall, you're in trouble, You know, God is perfectly capable of growing this church beyond our wildest belief and our imagination. But he's also perfectly capable of allowing us to be a very smaller, transparent, accountability-driven congregation. And there's some people that will come to this church and say, yep, it's too small, I'm not gonna go there. That's fine. There's other good churches that are larger. See, we don't need to get caught up in all this stuff. And that's what they were doing Oh, I'm going to follow this guy, or I'm going to go there, or I'm going to do this. And he's saying, no, this is up to the Lord. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Don't worship individuals. I remember when I was going through a, a tour of uh, Grace to You one time, and there was an individual on the tour, literally, I don't think she knew anything about MacArthur, John MacArthur, who was who the teacher on Grace to You radio. And they have a whole office complex for his ministry, Grace to You. It's huge. And they give you tours if you want a tour. So you can go down there and, you know, they got this picture up here or there whatever. I mean, you know, it's very promotion-oriented, but it's not about John MacArthur. But, you know, you, you would almost get that feeling if you didn't know the man or know the ministry or know anything about the people that are involved there. And I remember this Lady, we were in the office looking at it, and some lady said, well, who is this guy anyway? <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, that's weird. You know, you came on this, you don't even know who he is, you know? But, you know, that's, that's, what, we, that's what we are all about now. It's kind of a celebrity-driven church today. And, you know, the, the, sometimes the pastor doesn't even come out until it's his time to speak. And usually when he's, the time's over, he's gone. I mean, that's how it operates sometimes. It's kind of very much a show. Um, That's not the way God intended it to be. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, where did they meet? They met in houses. For a greater portion of the the beginning of the church, it says they went from house to house. They didn't have buildings and lights and microphones and all this stuff. Now, I'm not saying that stuff's bad. I mean, we live in the Silicon Valley. We need to use all the technology we can get. But at the same time, we have to realize that that's not the answer to grow the church we we have to look to god and we have to trust god for that and so he says verse 7 so neither he who plants nor he who waters look at what he says paul says is anything he's nothing See, this is the scriptural view of Christian leadership. It's not the the celebrity mentality that we have in churches today. But this is what Paul says. He goes, You know what? Okay, big deal. You get in front of people and you, you open the Bible and you teach, you're nothing. You're nobody. Who do you think you are? He said, It's God who gives the growth. We need to be glorifying God, not our Christian leaders. You know, your salvation is a result of God's grace on your life. And you say, well, I got saved when I was watching Billy Graham. Well, that's fine and dandy. But guess what? Billy Graham didn't save you. God did. And he used the ministry of Billy Graham. Wonderful. We need to stop glorifying things like that and give the glory back to To God, where it belongs. Verse 8, he says, He who plants and he who waters are one. This is is a good one for pastors to read and churches to read because sometimes it becomes like a competition. I mean, you know, you talk to some individuals. You you go to a conference and, boy, I know right away whether I'm going to get along with somebody or not. Within the first five minutes, if they're asking, well, how many people you got in church? And there's some pastors, that's all that they're concerned with. Um, That shouldn't be even, that doesn't even enter my mind. Just so you understand me. I mean, when I come here on a Sunday morning, and I think I've mentioned this to Ken before, you know, everybody get up and walk out. Literally, after the first song, you could could walk out those doors. I'm going to continue to do what I do. Because I'm not doing it for you. And nor should anyone else who teaches in the pulpit here or ministers here do it for someone else other than the Lord. See, when you have that kind of mentality, especially when you're like me and you don't like to be in front of people and you're not... It's like, this is what God's called me to do. It's almost kind of ironic. It's like, God, you really have a sense of humor, don't you? You know, I'm kind of like a clean freak. You know, I kind of like things well, you know, back helping my sister clean this old house up. Oh, my goodness. I mean, God's pushing me to my limits. I mean, my sister cracks up. She goes, where are you going? I go, I'm going back to the hotel to take another shower. I'll be back in an, in an hour. I just can't deal with it. You know, so God has a sense of humor. He puts us in places that we need to depend on Him utterly, completely. And that means there's going to be some discomfort. But don't Ever forget that we're all, all of us in the body of Christ are on the same team. We're on the same team. We're, we're working toward the same end. That should be what's on our hearts. So whether you're watering or whether you're planting, it's irrelevant. At least you're doing something. See, if you're not doing anything, then we have a problem. But, you know, there's no... There's no level of ministry, I don't believe, that God looks at. I mean, there's some that there's more accountability needed and things like that. But you know what? I think God is honored by the, 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 the woman or the man in the kitchen that's, that's getting here early and preparing the coffee and doing what they do there as on the Lord as much as the pastor who gets up or the elder who gets up and teaches the word of God. I don't think God's up there going, oh, I'm going to like this guy better. He's No. You know, it's, it's our motivation, how we're, how we're serving him. And trust me, I mean, if, if just the folks in our small little church looked inward and said, God, how have you gifted me? What do you want me to add to the life of Grace Bible Church as we know it? How do you want me to serve? It may not be in a showy way. It may be in a prayerful way. It may be, man, you're just really driven to pray. We need all the prayer we can get. Maybe handyman stuff. Maybe whatever. I don't know. It's that's up to the Lord to lay that upon your heart. But we all need to be doing something. That's what he's saying here. Verse eight: He who plants and he who waters are one, and he and each will receive his wages according to his labor. God is just. You know, there's not a. This isn't a competition where we're doing it for the Lord. Um, he's the boss, we're not. And one day, the Bible says that we will receive a reward according to our labor. That should motivate us a little bit. It's kind of like working for a company, and they say, hey, you know what? If you do this, this, and this, you get a a big bonus at the end of the year. Well, that gives you a little motivation, I would hope, to work a little harder throughout the year so you can get that year-end bonus, whatever it might be. Well, God is kind of doing the same thing. But you do it as unto the Lord. You do it not for the reward, but you do it because you can't help not to do it. You want to serve Christ as a believer with everything you have. And some of you are incredibly gifted. I mean, I am amazed sometimes how gifted individuals in this small little church are. And I trust that you're using your gifts for his glory. And he says in verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. Once again, talking about the unity. It's not a competition. You are God's field. He's telling them. You're God's building. You're the church. This is why we do what we do. We want to care for you. We want to care for your souls as elders, as Sunday school teachers. We want to care for the lives of your children. We want to teach them the word. As people who work in the nursery, they want to care for your children. I mean, all those things, whether it's cooking food or whether it's doing financial things. I mean, praise God we have a team that deals with the finances. I mean, I've talked to pastors. So, what do you do financially in church? I go, I don't do absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Well, who watches? I said, well, they have a team that does it. Well, you don't sign the checks? I said, no. I had one pastor ask, tell me one day, well, don't you know who gives and who doesn't? I'm like, no, I really don't care. It doesn't even, I don't even think about it. I just know God's providing for our church. That's between them and the Lord. I said, why would I want to know that? I mean, can you imagine what would happen if I knew exactly what everybody gave in the church? You come up and talk to me. I'd be yeah, you're a $10. I ain't going listen to you. Oh, here's here, he gives multiple thousands of dollars. Oh, I want to cozy up to him. I mean, I'm just being honest, that's what I would do. Anybody in the flesh would do that. I don't. I want to be as far away from that as possible, and I always thank Bob and Maricela and the, Alex and Ivor and the team that, that Peggy that deals with all this stuff so we don't have to. Trust me, you don't want me dealing with that stuff. You know, I'll stick to the spiritual things. And it's always a blessing that you know what, we're able to come together as leadership and as servants and together we're, we're working toward a common goal, the church, lifting up the church of Christ, building up the church of Christ because that's really in the end what matters. And unfortunately, in the church of Corinth, they got away from that. And so they had all kinds of stuff in their church that didn't belong there. And Paul had to deal rather harshly with them at times to bring that out. And you know what? I'll just tell you from the bottom of my heart, I thank you that we're in a church that first and foremost loves the word of God, um, loves each other, and loves those who serve. It, it makes it so much easier. It makes it actually enjoyable. I mean, even last night, flying home, you know, plane. I'm thinking, I just can't wait to get home. You know? Because we're like a family. We really are. And that, and that is a good thing. That's a good thing. Well, let's close in a word of prayer, and then we'll sing one last song and be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for the ministry and the servanthood of Paul and Apollos and others, too, in the New Testament that we see. Lord, these weren't men who were haughty and prideful. They could have been because they were very much more intellectual and much more gifted than probably any of us. But, Lord, you kept them humble. And you help them to realize what they were called to do as fellow servants. And I mean, Lord, it's always a joy to serve alongside brothers and sisters in Christ that have that same mentality. Hey, they just want to serve the body of Christ. They just want to do what they can to, to make someone else's life a little easier in the body of Christ. Help them out, cook a meal for them, pray for them. Whatever it might be, Lord, we just thank you that we can do this together in unity because the the unity is already there if we're in the body of Christ. And so, Lord, whether we're um, changing toilets or picking up um, leaves or cutting grass or painting, whatever it might be, or teaching Sunday school or cooking food, we can do that for your glory. And, Lord, that's, that's such an encouragement to us. And I pray that our number would increase, that we would see an impact in our community with the gospel that we teach because it's your gospel, it's your word. I pray that we would not be tempted to compromise in any way. And Lord, I pray that you would work through us for your glory. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's.